This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Congressman Brian Mast will be with us. You know he's out of Florida, member of the Foreign Relations Affairs. And this is 10 years ago today. He was blown up, lost both his legs, fighting for our country. He's a, a bomb technician. He knew how risky it was. And, man, he's still giving back. Uh, he's also helped us out uh, for a special on Fox Nation, which is the Hispanic Heritage Month. That's who is the American Hispanic Heritage Month. And he's got a, a mom uh, with a, a Hispanic background and a grandfather, and he talks about that. So he'll be with us shortly. I, of course, want your calls, one 866 We have a lot to discuss as both president and the, vice, and the former vice president will be in the same place. That'll be... Uh, that'll be uh, a little bit later today. It'll be in Minnesota. They both think they can win it. The polls show Joe Biden ahead in just about every battleground state, but just barely. Does that sound familiar? Can one pollster actually find a way that the president is actually ahead? Maybe he's not. I have a sense he's a lot closer. Just talking to the people on the Trump team, uh, their internals are a lot different than what we're witnessing. But last night was a chance to not only see the president on stage, to see the vice, the former vice president on stage. Man, what a difference. So let's get started. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Antifa is a real thing. We do have quite a number of properly predicated domestic terrorism investigations into violent anarchist extremists, any number of whom self-identify with the Antifa movement. Law and order suddenly catching Democrats' attention as they defund the police crowd wonder why crime rages. Really? And get this, Jerry Nadler, Antifa a real thing. The FBI spoke about it, confirming it. But the measured tone gnaws at the president. Number two. 22 cases is all they had from the bars, restaurants, in the contact tracing. So it's pretty clear it was minuscule. And they knew this. And then on the 14th of July, the Tennessean, the local paper, quotes the uh, the uh, mayor as saying record number of clusters at bars and restaurants. So they clearly knew better. Unbelievable. That is Congressman Mark Green of Tennessee. You lie, businesses and more die. The Nashville mayor, get this, hid record low COVID-19 numbers to keep bars and restaurants closed. You know where the numbers were high? Nursing homes and construction sites. You know what he did? He shut down all of Broadway and everything else around it. The outrage is everywhere. It makes me wonder how many other Democratic mayors are suppressing good news to keep good people and businesses down. And Joe Biden's fortune's up. This story, as a second wave, seems to be slamming our allies, the United Kingdom and Israel. Number one. How will you get the proper messaging out to all Americans to keep them informed? Do you think it's still possible to reach across the aisle? Why did you throw vulnerable people like me under the bus? How do you stop police killing blacks at three times the rate of killing whites? Uh, 
tale of two town halls. The president sat down with George Stephanopoulos on Tuesday, got hostile questions. Joe Biden joined Anderson Cooper, and the questions were so friendly, even some of his supporters called it soft. What was said, and where are the, can- where are the candidates today? So, you know, the president's opinion is steel's to rub and steel. He'll sit down with Jonathan Swan for an hour. He'll sit down with Chris Wallace for an hour. He'll take questions coming off a chopper, coming into a child, coming on a chopper, coming off. Uh, he'll take questions everywhere. He'll hop on our show. Hopefully you get him next week. And then he'll go out with George Stephanopoulos on ABC. So it doesn't bother him. Now, how he does, a little different. I think the president's got to get tuned up a little bit to, hostile, uh, to the hostile press and get into some detail with follow-up questions. But he's close. Joe Biden, if he's been tuning up, I haven't seen it. Yesterday was layup, open layup after open layup. And there was no follow-up. Here's an example of a follow-up before we even get into the questions. You know, for 25 years, you support a free trade deals. Now you're talking about bringing manufacturing home. What do you say to people who don't believe you? How about you said... Uh, before that you were for, uh, you said in the debates that you were against fossil fuels and against fracking. Now you say you're for it. You said and voted for NAFTA, free trade agreement that took manufacturing out of the company, country and hurt farmers. What do you say to people in Wisconsin who benefit now because the dairy deal is much better with Canada with the USMCA? Middle East peace. For the longest time, for 48 years, you've been in that region, got nothing. Now in three and a half years, the president got a massive Sunni to Israeli peace deal, a dropping of the arms exchange deal of diplomats. Why was he able to do that? Why was your administration so wrong over the last eight years? And when it comes to putting down stocks, what do you say to union members that have their pensions in the stock market? I I don't know. I I just didn't see any follow-up. Joe Biden stood up. That's about all I can tell you. The people are in cars. He wants to show you he's responsible. So here's a little difference. Instead of my opinion, here's a little difference of the softball questions for Joe Biden. Cut one. The messaging on the coronavirus from the White House has been all over the place since February. How will you get the proper messaging out to all Americans to keep them informed? If you were president, could you see a scenario where you downplayed critical information so as not to cause panic? Bob Woodward asked President Trump about white privilege and whether... Uh, whether or not he benefited from it. Do you see ways that you've benefited from white privilege? How will you handle Russia's involvement with Trump? How will we know the many ways he has compromised the United States? I look out over my Biden sign in my front yard and I see a sea of Trump flags. What is your plan to build the bridge with voters from the opposing party? Do you think it's still possible to reach across the aisle? Wow, that was a that was a good one. Wouldn't George Stephanopoulos? Wouldn't it be nice if George Stephanopoulos asked that at least to warm somebody up to give them a sense of themselves? What's the last three and a half years been like? What has been the biggest uh, sacrifice you feel as though you've made for your businesses? Uh, the personal attacks on your businesses and the personal attacks on you and your family. And then you could go ahead and hit. You know, to, to President Trump's credit, he doesn't complain about it. He signs up for it. Here's an example of the type of questions Donald Trump got two days ago. Cut three. Do you feel racial injustices are occurring in this nation? And if so, what can be done to address them? If you believe it's the president's responsibility to protect America, why would you downplay a pandemic that is known to disproportionately harm low-income families and minority communities? Why did you throw vulnerable people like me under the bus? 
How do you stop police killing blacks at three times the rate of killing whites? Uh, what is the president? Is your plan to aid these workers who may not lose their jobs today, but in the months to come? Do you think it's okay to be dishonest? So the president did answer that when it comes to Bob Woodward. He's been getting a pass in the media. I do not like the way he talked to Dana Perino yesterday. So defensive, making opinions, becoming an advocate to destroy Trump. Instead of saying, well, this is my book, and so there are areas in which it's critical, he says he is not the right man for the job and goes to prove it over and over again. Lack of respect for someone who gave him nine hours of Q&A. And I'm going to go through the book just, in case, just to have an idea what's out there. But that's what a lot of this was feeding off of. The president has got to be prepared to answer, not with Chris Wallace, but with others. If Joe Biden's going to get layups like this, he's got to turn around and say that's not true. If you're not going to ask him a tough question, then I will. Are you for fracking or against it? Are we supposed to believe you last year or this year? Everything that I mentioned before. So here, Joe, here's Joe Biden actually answering a couple of questions. He claims President Trump, he had an outlandish claim, and no one qualified this to him. And think about how outrageous this is. Cut eight. If the president had done his job, had done his job from the beginning, all the people would still be alive. All the people, I'm not making this up, just look at the data. You are making it up. And why didn't someone say, are you kidding, 900,000 people would be alive? Even the Washington Post wrote, that is totally not factually correct. Who kills 900,000 people outside Bashir Assad, who the president led thrived in Syria? The previous president, talking about Assad and the president Obama. Why was he allowed to get away with that? Killed 900,000 people? You see it's up 160%, 66% in the U.K. That country got it first. You see that it's now a second wave in Israel. They're locking down again. But, of course, it's President Trump that is the reason. When we were lied to by China... Even today, we're not allowed to get in there. Even today, your chief of staff, Ron Klain, said when it comes to H1N1, the only reason that it didn't become here and become somewhat of a pandemic was luck. It's not anything that they did. Here's the other thing that bothers me about how Joe Biden answered this question. Number one, if he feels this way, we're in trouble if he wins. Cut 10. Do you view China as an opponent? Because the, the president says you've been too cozy with China. To, to accepting of them in the international community. I, I, I'm not the guy. Look, China, we now have a larger trade deficit with China than we've ever had with China. And in our administration, when the World Trade Organization he keeps going on about, just ruled that his, his trade policy violated the World Trade Organization. We sued. We went to the World Trade Organization 16 times. Do you view China 16, as an opponent? I view China as a competitor, a serious competitor. I got a problem with that. He says Russia, same thing, not an enemy, a competitor. Uh, they're pretty much an enemy. Uh, Congressman Brian Mast is next. He's a foreign relations and transportation. We'll talk about that. Uh, we'll also talk about what General McMaster said, and that is the president's making a mistake pulling out of Afghanistan and dealing with Taliban. How does he feel about that? This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. A radio show of the people for the people. You're with Brian Kilmeade. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory... 
Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. news unique opinions hear it all on the brian kilmeade show i think what he did with this new policy is he in effect is partnering with the taliban against in many ways the afghan government and so i i think that it's, it's an unwise policy and and i think what we require in afghanistan is a sustained commitment to help the afghan government and help the afghan security forces continue to bear the brunt of this fight and I got to see uh, how you feel about that. I agree with uh, General McMaster here, former National Security Advisor to the President, uh, who evidently sits down 60 minutes and talks about, uh, you know, the president and his previous administrations and what went wrong. Uh, Congressman Brian Mast joins us now, member of the Foreign Relations uh, uh, and as well as the Transportation Infrastructure Committee. And 10 years ago this week is when Brian Mast lost both his legs in a bomb explosion. Congressman Mast, welcome back. Hey, it's good to be able to speak to you and speak to you about a, a topic about where I left my legs. So, yeah, I, and let's uh, let's uh, hold on to that for one second, just to have you comment on McMaster. You know how many people have lost their lives and their limbs in Afghanistan, but I also know how much good we've done and how you've proven over the course of years we don't want to dominate. We help want to stand up a government so they're not breeding terrorists in the future. Do you agree with General McMaster? Are you kind of uneasy about the president's talking with the Taliban? No, listen, I, I think that anything that the Taliban says, we should kind of look at that as something that they will never live up to and, and never truly have a goal of living up to. Go into that knowing they don't really mean what it is that they're saying and what they would offer in terms of oppression to, to women, to children, to, to you name it. Um, being in political control in Afghanistan means – you can't play checkers. You can't fly a kite. You can't be a nurse if you're a female or a teacher or uh, go to work or learn to read or be educated. The, the human rights abuses that will be perpetrated under allowing just strict Taliban control should be something that we say we don't want to see. Now, I, I would love to give you the other side of this as well to say 
where we are at militarily in the year 2020 compared to the year 2001 and our ability to, to look at the scape of Afghanistan is totally different. We don't need the same number of troops there. Um, our ability to have financial intelligence, geospatial intelligence, um, intelligence uh, across a host of different ways and know what's going on and where to hit targets is totally different than it was in 2001. And we have a network that allows us I think, to change the way that we operate while still flanking Iran, uh, being, you know, in Iraq and in Afghanistan with some presence and working to maintain uh, a government, hopefully, that can provide some sort of human rights for the, the citizens of Afghanistan as well. And that's where you lost your legs. What do you remember from that day? Oh, man, uh, it was that night. And uh, I remember blowing up as vividly as it was yesterday. I remember looking for the device, being on my hands and knees, looking for wires and disturbed earth and batteries. I didn't find anything. I'm, I'm looking through night vision optics for this. And I, I remember taking, you know, I was telling these two snipers that I was working with, I was going to forge a little bit further ahead because I knew there was some kind of device where we were. And I remember when I stepped on that device and, and Brian, it wasn't like the movies, you know, the, the old movies where the guy steps on a device and he hears this click and he looks around and, and his toe is on a device and people try to say, it wasn't like that. It, this happened in a flash, as quick as you turn on the lights in your house, that's as quick as this thing detonated underneath my feet. It, it probably threw me 10 feet through the air. I landed on my back, and, and when I did, I can remember just the wind being knocked out of me from the concussion of that explosion. I couldn't breathe. I was, you know, gasping for breath, trying to breathe, and, and at the same time, I'm, I'm in this big plume of dust and dirt from, from all that had been blown up into the air. I couldn't see anything. It was in my eyes and I was trying to wipe my eyes out and I had all of my, my fingers were broken and some of them were blown off and my left arm was, was hanging off halfway. And, uh, the, the, the light in that was this, I could hear my men in my combo device in my ear and they were talking about me. They're saying EOD is hit EOD is down. And they were talking about how they were coming in, to try and find me and save my life and put tourniquets on me, talking about what they were going to do. And they did. They risked their lives. They came in. They put tourniquets on me, which was the most painful thing I can remember, having them wrench down on where my legs used to be, uh, but getting me onto a stretcher, getting me off the battlefield and telling me that I would be okay, which I am. And you are. And, you know, I totally forget. I, we, would, uh, we did a shoot on Tuesday for uh, National Hispanic Month. And that is uh, at least half of your background. And we talked about that. And I even forgot that, you know, I'm talking to a guy who's on two prosthetic legs. I mean, that's how you live every day. Did it change you at all as a person? Let me speak about war in this way. War makes us better. In many cases, there are a lot of parts of me that are better. And, and war also kills parts of you. That's the truth. What what you see when you lose your friends, when you have pieces of your friends on you, when you see that over and over again, night after night, it, it does kill pieces of you. Um, so the, there are parts of me that struggle, that that have changed in that way. But am I a stronger person for what I've seen? Absolutely, yes. For what I've gone through, do I have a respect for what other parts of the world are like and how we can all recover regardless of the challenges that we face? Uh, you know, probably the, the biggest strength 
that I garnered out of that was when I woke up in Walter Reed Army Medical Center in Washington, D.C., at a time when there was 50 people a month that, that were being injured in, in Iraq or Afghanistan that yeah. were waking up like me or worse. They were missing a leg or two legs or some of them two legs and an arm or two legs and two arms. Some of them were blind or burned or had uh, a traumatic head injury or a combination of all these things. And out of those people, those Americans, those war fighters, mm -hmm. I saw more strength than I have ever seen. And those are people that to this day have accomplished the greatest things in their life after injury wow. and not before injury. And, and that's what I can say about that. Wow. So looking back at 10 years today um, and your, your future looks extremely bright, especially if you stay in politics. Congressman Brian Mass, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thanks, Brian. And glad you survived. The country's better off for it and for your service. Thank you. When we come back, your turn, 1-866-408-7669. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Critical race theory, the 1619 Project, and the crusade against American history is toxic propaganda, ideological poison that, if not removed, will dissolve. The civic bonds that tie us together will destroy our country. That is why I recently banned trainings in this prejudiced ideology from the federal government and banned it in the strongest manner possible. So the president went to National Archives, gave a speech about the need for a patriotic education. And that's what we used to have. Now there's a big pushback saying we have to admit white privilege. And uh, the 11th graders, the third graders write essays on it. We've seen it coming out of colleges now. And the president and many of you are really alarmed by it, some of which are seeing this for the first time. Why? Because your kid's working out of school and they're at your house and you're hearing about it. And maybe they're complaining to you. My hope is they're complaining to you. So the president's had a few issues come his way, and it's in his core. The, the law and order. And he sees the civic unrest. He offers for help, and the Democrats said, let it be a summer of love. Uh, let them play it out. Let's blame white supremacists. And none of it flies. It got so bad that Nancy Pelosi had to come out and condemn rioting. I never thought she had to be pushed, but she did. When they start ripping down statues, m many people in America, most, are horrified. Confederate statues are a separate debate. But the others, when you get rid of Frederick Douglass and Abraham Lincoln, I think we got a problem. When you refuse to acknowledge that Thomas Jefferson School at William & Mary needs to have a, a statue of Thomas Jefferson, that's a problem. When you're offended at the University of Virginia that Thomas Jefferson seems to be everywhere— he founded the school, and you have a problem with it. That's your problem. And the president sees these issues as real issues. Yes, sure, it's politics. But it's, it's politics that are in his core. What is Joe Biden's core? We have no idea. Because there's his past and there's his present. For example, on fracking. Here's Joe Biden on fracking. And why does that make a difference? That's Pennsylvania, that's Ohio, that's New York, upstate New York uh, to a degree. 
Uh, that's, of course, Texas. That is Oklahoma. Here is Joe Biden in, uh, on CNN, on the town hall, uh, talking about fracking. Cut 12. With the abundance of natural gas in northeast Pennsylvania, do you support the continuation of fracking? Safely and with proper guidelines, of course, and growing the industry to aid additional jobs to our region. Yes, I do. I do. In addition to that, we can provide for right now, as you know, there are thousands of uncapped wells because a lot of companies gone out of business, whether they're gas or oil facilities. We can put to work right away. All right. That was last night. He's not he's not looking to ban fracking. Here's the problem. Over the summer, cut 14. Would there be any place for fossil fuels, including coal and fracking, in a Biden administration? No, we would we would work it out. We would make sure it's eliminated and no more subsidies for either one of those. Anybody could go down 300 to 3,000 feet in the mine. Sure and hell can learn how to program as well. Give me a break. Anybody who can throw coal into a furnace can learn how to program, for God's sake. I'm talking about stopping fracking as soon as we possibly can. No ifs, buts, and maybes about it. I'm talking about speaking to try. Well, I'm not sure your proposal does that. No more, no new fracking. Okay. What are we to believe? And that's what the president's got to drill down on. July July 9, 2019, you said there is none. You told Bernie Sanders you won't have any. And then you're telling everyone you're not banning it. Why don't you be honest with the American people? And it's key. Because if if you believe in something, you'll do it. For example, Hillary Clinton was putting down coal miners, and then she wants West Virginia to vote for. The president does not mind coal. Now, coal for two years first, and now the market seems to be dropping for coal. That's some market forces. That's different. The other thing, just looking at both events. Ari Fleischer weighed in last night, looking at the town hall the president went through, the Jonathan Swan, Chris Wallace interviews, and then what we witnessed last night where people were in their cars, Mostly Democrats. Cut 20. When he was asked about fracking by a voter, and a voter said to him, are you against fracking? He said, no, I'm not against fracking. And then Anderson Cooper followed up, and he did say to him, wait a minute, you previously said you wanted to get rid of it. And he said, well, I will. So basically, Joe Biden, in the space of five seconds, said, I'm not against it now, but I will be against it. I want to get rid of it. <laughs> He's still all over the map when it comes to that basic issue of American energy independence largely brought to us via fracking, really important in Pennsylvania. And he flipped so, again on the issue of performance again tonight. Yeah, and he also went and blamed President Trump for 900,000 deaths. The other big scandal is happening in Nashville, uh, Tennessee. They shut down Broadway. It's the tourist attraction, the, the surging tourist attraction of the country. And so many people have invested so much money in the most expensive real estate maybe in the country, rising that much. Then there's small bars and restaurants. But what can you do? you got to shut it down. COVID-19 was rising. Was it? It turns out emails reveal that it wasn't. That most of the cases were happening in construction and in nursing homes. And in fact, on June 30th, contact tracing efforts found only 22 cases tied to bars and restaurants. But he still shut them all down. And then in August, a lot of them dope 25%. And now today, 50%. Meanwhile, the health department knows there was no cases rising. Health department official Leslie Walter, in an email to Benjamin Eagles, a senior advisor to the mayor's office, to confirm information would not be public release. According to Fox 11, Leslie uh, Waller from the health department asked, quote, this isn't going to be publicly released, right? Just information for the, uh, for the mayor's office, Correct. 
Yes, not for public consent c- consumption. By July 30th, only 80 cases have been traced to bars and restaurants, continuing to affirm that restaurants and bars were not significant sources of COVID-19. This is an outrage. This mayor, John Cooper, destroyed businesses, livelihoods, people who are making a living maybe in tandem with a music career, waiting tables, or you're a chef or you're a manager. You know, people see... You know, Luke Bryan, and he owns a bar, and they see Kid Rock, he owns a bar, and they see John Rich, he owns a bar, and all these big names say, well, they can lose money, but put about the people that work for them. Some just sell their names for it. This is outrageous, and it's a Democrat, and it makes you wonder, who would be an adva- who would get an advantage to these major cities being shut down for the economy to continue to struggle? Time's up. Joe Biden. They are doing this for politics. That's my only conclusion. I would demand verification on all numbers in all these cities. Mark Green, congressman from Tennessee, cut 22. 22 cases is all they had from the bars, restaurants, in the contact tracing. So it's pretty clear it was minuscule. And they knew this on June the 22nd. Um, And certainly by June the 30th. And on July the 3rd, the medical officer of the city announces that it's specifically clusters of COVID at bars and restaurants. And then on the 14th of July, the Tennessean, the local paper, quotes the, uh, the uh, mayor as saying record number of clusters at bars and restaurants. So they clearly knew better and were saying just the opposite. Now, I, I just I'm outraged. It because I know how hard people work in restaurants, and I know what it means to people to be able to get out and go out. So you know about the distancing, wearing a mask, and responsibly acting. I think about the guitarists and the musicians who go into these smaller bars and venues and see if they can get noticed, recognized, get better at performing. This is where you go, and they just stopped it. Now, I understand early on you can't have a movie rollout. You know, it's kind of crazy. You have a movie rollout. You got a production crew. How do you do it? They did it in Australia. They're doing it in Europe. They're doing it in New Zealand. Maybe I would have traveled. But this is evidence. This is a shutdown without any evidence. Even in New York, this is a shutdown without any evidence. John Rich was on with Laura last night as this emerged. And he owns a restaurant. And he knows these people personally. Cut 25. It is a disaster. It is gutted. Uh, Mayor John Cooper has betrayed our town. He has betrayed Music City. He is a Judas to this town. He is now the de Blasio of the South. That is what he is. He has lied to our town for months and months on end. And there are real casualties with this, Laura. Uh, Forget some of the big companies that have lost a lot of money. Let's talk about musicians. Let's talk about bartenders and servers and security guards. All the people that work downtown in Nashville that were targeted by this Judas of a mayor, John Cooper, who claims he loves Nashville and loves Music City. Okay, a couple of things. If this is one story, it's terrible. Does anyone out there think that Democratic mayors aren't doing the same thing in your city, big or small? In the hope of flipping that city blue, it's despicable, it's disgusting. Richard, listening in Montreal, Richard. Hi, Brian. Yeah, what uh, Joe said last, what Biden said last night during the town hall, saying that President Trump is responsible for 900,000 deaths. Just three weeks ago, he and 
uh, Biden and, and Kamala Harris lied again, saying that hydroxychloroquine does not work. So when you have dozens of doctors saying it does work and he's saying it doesn't work, I believe the dozens of doctors. Richard, thank you. Uh, here is the cut, cut eight. If the president had done his job, had done his job from the beginning, all the people would still be alive. All the people, I'm not making this up, just look at the data. Yes, you are making it up. And why Anderson Cooper didn't chime in and say, wait a second, the president's not responsible for 900,000 deaths. Considering it was here as early as December, we had no idea. Considering it was in Europe earlier, the flooding New York, we had no idea. Considering he was on the phone with President Xi and he was lying and he had no idea. Considering that Anthony Fauci was telling us not to wear masks in February, had no idea. So you don't like that the president went public and people don't like that he didn't go. He went public and didn't say this is the worst pandemic to hit us in over 100 years. Run for your lives. We're shut down, knowing that for the most part, seniors, mostly people 70 with pre-existing conditions, underlying conditions were the most susceptible. We still locked down. That's why they don't get about Bob Woodward and his complaints. I mean, he should just present his book and the interviews and say, this is the inside. And if you're asked and you say, well, do I have my opinion after interviewing the last 15 presidents? This is what I think. I see it. But now we've made his personal mission to hurt the president. We're going to come back and take more of your calls. one 408 7669 A lot to discuss on this. Uh, we also have some good news. I think the Pac-12 is moving towards, uh, to a degree, to examining whether they can play or not. I think it's much better. The Big Ten putting pressure on everyone to play. What about soccer? What about lacrosse? What about gymnastics? What about volleyball? Back in a moment. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. talk show that's getting you talking you're with brian kilmeade we support peaceful demonstrations we participate in them they are part of the essence of our democracy that does not include looting starting fires or rioting those are they should be prosecuted that is lawlessness Welcome back, everyone. Uh, That is Nancy Pelosi, desperate to try to tell people that she does care about rioting. When a couple of weeks ago, you know what she said? Uh, People do what people do. Really? Okay. Never saying a word about the 43 cops that were killed this year, the assassination, the attempted assassination on two uh, uh, Los Angeles sheriff deputies over the weekend. Never saying a word about that. Now it's desperate. We saw Biden quickly snap into, into place three weeks ago. Not mention a word of the DNC. Duke, listen, WHIO in Wilmington, Ohio. Duke. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Um, Real quick, I hate when people call it the Democratic Party. It's the Democrat Party. They're not Democratic. But that's just a small thing. The the bigger point I called, when we talk about um, how, you know, Joe Biden, oh, he just flip-flopped on the fracking. He didn't. He didn't flip-flop at all. 
his voting record is clear for his half a century in D.C. His party's position is clear. His ticket's position is clear. His campaign team's position is clear. There's no flip-flop. There was no change of mind or new information came in. It's straight up simple. He lied and pandered to try to get votes. And I don't think it's partisan to call out either side when it's obvious from the totality of facts. It's, it's not a, a perception thing. It's a straight up you're lying to people at this point. And, Duke, nobody thinks the president would cut out fracking. In fact, nobody thinks the president would cut out any energy source, including clean energy. Ford rolls out an electric SUV. Game on. Win the market. We're not going to subsidize you to do something the market's not ready for. No, nobody wants to buy. And we had the Ford, uh, we had Bill Ford on yesterday on Fox and Friends talking about that. Now, Barack Obama would love it, but Barack Obama didn't program that. Ford looked at that and said, we want to burn clean, but it's got to have power. And it took them years, but they did it. And now it's up to the market to accept it or not. They're going to do the cylinders of the world. We're going to get all this all over again if Joe Biden's in. And fracking will not be canceled right away. A year and a half, it'll be faded out. He's going to make it cost prohibitive to do it. Scott, listen, WTRC in Indiana. Scott. Hey, how you doing, Brian? Good. What's on your mind? Oh, I was just going to comment about how you said that Anderson Cooper and these guys giving Joe Biden a pass, you know, uh, Anderson Cooper and those guys, uh, they're not journalists. They're just hacks. That's just all it boils down to. Um, why anybody listens to those um, TV stations and trusts anything that they say, you know, uh, you know you're a journalist. You know, but, but, but here's the thing, Scott. I, I watch him on 60 Minutes. He does a really good job. I mean, prior to the Trump administration, yeah, he would lean left, but it wouldn't be way left. This is unbelievable. I mean, I used to, for this show in particular, I always want to bring in other voices. So I'm always watching other channels. Now I don't see any point. They all say the same negative thing. And if there's positives coming out of the administration when it comes to the economy or the, the, the uh, Arab peace deal, you know they're going to bury it. They'll mention it and find, but on the other side, Iran is still a threat. On the other side, during the peace ceremony, people weren't socially distancing. For example, yesterday, economic news. Median household income rose 6.8%. Nobody mentioned that. New lowest official poverty rate in history at 10.5%. Home building optimism jumped to its highest level in recent memory. Nobody can find any time for that. Scott, uh, listen on WTRC. Uh, thank you. Victoria, listen on WDBO in Orlando. Thank you. What's on your mind? Hey, Brian. I just wanted to say um, we've been down here on WDBO. They've been playing that same little excerpt that you just played with uh, Joe Biden on Anderson Cooper. And, like, Anderson Cooper's not going to jump in there and say, hey, you're wrong, <laughs> because obviously he's worked for you know what network. But, um, like I said, Joe Biden, I mean, <laughs> I support the president. I just want to tell you that much because this has been really bothering me. They just keep down, like they just keep, oh, you know, harping on that he's not doing his job. The man is doing his job. You kept him busy with a friggin' impeachment trial during the whole time. This whole thing about coronavirus and don't you know? Like I'm also a conspiracy theorist, so I think the Democrats knew about this. You know, especially the leadership, because weren't they in China like a couple months before then? I mean, seriously, dude. Oh, and by the way, I just wanted to say that I'm also a registered Democrat here in Florida, but I'm, you know, not really voting that way this year. So I just want to screw with the statistics. I'm just evil like that. 
Thank you, Victoria. Uh, WDBO, uh, we're now on the AM dial, uh, not the FM, but we still got a lot of listeners there. I was told yesterday it's got an extremely powerful signal there, so that's great. Uh, listen, go to BrianKilmeadShow.com. You can listen to the show on the stream anytime. You get it at Spotify, iTunes as well. Uh, you can get it off the podcast. Uh, also, go to BrianKilmeade.com. You can go to Sam Houston, the Alamo Avengers. I can sign it and send it out to you. It's out on paperback now, but all the other books there as well. Don't move. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Record number of clusters at bars and restaurants. So they clearly knew better. There you go. Uh, They lied. Mark Green, congressman, talking about the Democratic Mayor, you lie, businesses, and more die. The Nashville mayor hid record low COVID-19 numbers to keep bars and restaurants closed. The outrage is everywhere. It makes me wonder how many more Democratic mayors have suppressed the good news to keep good people and businesses down and bring Joe Biden's fortunes up. The story, as a second wave, seems to be slamming our allies. The U.K. up 167 percent and Israel about to shut down for a second time. Number one. How will you get the proper messaging out to all Americans to keep them informed? Do you think it's still possible to reach across the aisle? Why did you throw vulnerable people like me under the bus? How do you stop police killing blacks at three times the rate of killing whites? Uh Tale of two town halls. The president sat down with George Stephanopoulos Tuesday, Jonathan Swan two weeks ago, Chris Wallace a month ago. Hostile questions. Joe Biden joined Anderson Cooper, and the questions were so friendly, even his supporters called it soft. What was said and where the candidates are today, which is, time's up, Minnesota. Where is Geraldo Rivera? Ohio. Geraldo, when you had a choice between watching the president and the vice president, the former vice president, what did you choose last night? I watch football. Cincinnati (laughs) against Cleveland. Cincinnati against Cleveland. It was the Super Bowl of Ohio. Ohio has 18 electoral votes. Uh, You know, uh, I'm sure that most of the voters uh, here in the Buckeye State were watching. uh, Both teams were desperate after losing their season openers. Both teams have charismatic first first draft pick uh, quarterbacks, uh, Baker Mayfield from 2018 and uh, Joe Burrow from uh, from last year. So I, it was very exciting. In terms of the the Biden town hall and the uh, and the Trump town hall, I've obviously sampled them. I think you're absolutely right. Your analysis, Brian, as usual, uh, spot on. Uh, one guy they treat like the lovable grandpa. The other guy they treat like, uh, you know, he's a fascist uh, dictator from another land. It's uh, It's appalling. I think that it's the saddest thing in the late stages of my career is that the protestation of the president about fake news are, is, is, is not fake. It's real. Here's the Washington Post uh, talking about this town hall, and I think this is significant. Uh, the Washington Post called out Biden after saying Trump's responsible for every COVID death. They said that that's, there's nothing there to prove that. There's no data to support that. that I appreciate that because to tell someone they killed 900,000, uh, 190,000 people a little over the line, not corrected by Anderson Cooper. And uh, Jeff Greenfield says this, in the first moments, the contrast between what Trump was asked and what Biden was asked is striking. That, according to political columnist Jeff Greenfield, Biden is doing very well, yes, but this is not exactly getting him ready to face tough questions from Chris Wallace. 
And that's true. And the, and the phrase I heard from the Trump team was steel sharpens steel. And that's what the president's doing with Swan, Wallace, and Stephanopoulos. And that's not what Joe Biden's doing. We'll see what happens in 11 days. It, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of pathetic, but I hope the uh, vice, former vice president is ready for it. I, as I said on Fox, sold, he's been sold short. Uh, by the Republican attack ads that portrayed him as a senile, bumbling old fool. He's clearly not that. But can he stand up to, uh, uh, you know, to a, a, a harsh cross-examination? I don't, I don't know. I still think that, that we'll, we'll see. Chris is not going to give him an easy time when they come here to Cleveland on the 29th. Uh, but, uh, you know, there's a love for Biden among 85, 90 percent of the people in the news business. And as a result, they treat him like their uh, their benevolent old uncle, Uncle Joe. Uh, they don't question him. They don't uh, uh, dis- disbelieve him. I mean, I, Jonathan Call is a good reporter, the guy from ABC, uh, White House guy. Uh, the, the president got up there, and Jonathan Carl said, why did you lie to the American people? That was his question. It, the question wasn't that yeah. uh, you told uh, Bob Woodward this and, uh, uh, it, it, you know, I see an inconsistency. Uh, it's, it, it's right away he goes to the conclusion. He made the conclusion already, Jonathan Hall. You're a liar, President Trump. I want everyone to know that I think you're a liar. Uh, now you're going to start. You've got to dig yourself out of that hole because you're a liar. You're a, and, and, you know, the, and the, uh, uh, a mass-murdering racist. It, it's it, Trump made mistakes. Nobody can deny it. Was his performance, uh, you know, uh, impeccable? No, it was very uneven. Uh, does he uh, have questions to answer about what he did in late February, early March? Of course he does. So do I. So do you. We all do. Uh, we all wish, uh, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. I wish I had, you know, said, oh, my God, uh, everybody, uh, you know, why didn't they have these masks? Uh, why aren't we pushing masks? Why isn't it? You know, so uh, I, 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 I get all that. I just think that Trump is, is treated worse than any president uh, since at least – uh, Nixon during Watergate. It's it, it's that right. bad for Trump every day. Which is so interesting because Nixon's uh, approval ratings drops to the 20s, and the president still hangs at 42. His base doesn't budge. But here's the president. He did something you can appreciate. So his feeling was, listen, I'm not going to panic the country, create the economy, stop people from working while I work behind the scenes with scientists to find out what this is. Every time there's been a scare in the past, we haven't, thankfully, since 1918, been hit by it. H1N1, the swine flu, Ebola. It hasn't come here. So I'm going to put the people in charge and let them do it. And his point was, I'm not going to tell everyone everything because the ramifications and the ripple effect are too great. Here's how he explained it to George Stephanopoulos. So when Churchill was on the top of a building and he said, everything's going to be good, everything's going to be become, and you have the Nazis dropping bombs all over London, he was very brave because he was at the top of a building. It was very well known that he was standing on buildings and they were bombing. And he says, everyone's going to be safe. I don't think that's being necessarily honest. And yet I think it's being a great leader. But he said, you're going to be safe. Be calm. Don't panic. And you had bombers dropping bombs all over London. So I guess you could say that's not so honest, but it's still great leadership. So do you think it's okay to be dishonest? I'm not looking to be dishonest. I don't want people to panic, and we are going to be okay. So that's his point. And I don't know why people have a—you might not agree with the point, but it's not lying. 
But I, I, I agree with you, and it is not lying. I also think that you make his case more articulately, than he does. more lucidly than he does. And I love him. You know, he's my friend, and I want him to do well. But he, he you know, his, his unscripted remarks, and virtually 70, 80% of what he says is unscripted, uh, probably even more than that. Sometimes it's unfortunate that, you know, his uh, uh, his statement about I didn't want to panic the, the people, that could have been fleshed out. He could have explained, as you did, uh, you know, you they wanted the therapeutics to take effect. The economy was already battered. Uh, uh, you know, a job is the best civil right. We have to try and hold things together. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's for the common good. Uh, you know, they, there are ways to characterize it, even at this late date. And I hope that he gets, he knows what's coming. He knows the storm that's coming next Tuesday. He's got to deal with it. And he's got to be, uh, you know, nimble and confident and and physically charismatic as he is. He's got to contrast his vitality, his vivaciousness with the, uh, uh, the relative uh, uh, you know, uh, senior citizen aspect to uh, Joe Biden. Uh, he can do it. I'm confident he can do it. It's just not going to be the slam dunk that it, we all thought a month ago. So it's because two issues that have come to the president's, uh, I guess, strengths. Law and order, you know, nobody thinks, even his greatest critic thinks that this unrest is okay with him. Nobody. And nobody thinks that taking down a statues and ripping on American history is okay with him. So he's been strong on this. Even though it's Trump's America, he's not an absolute monarch. He's not going to send in this, uh, the, the king's troops to go and wipe everybody out. That's not the way it works here. That's China. Now, the other thing is this whole push against American history to embarrass uh, – we should be embarrassed by our past – Here's a little from the president yesterday with the National Archives on the steps with the original signed Constitution behind him. Cut 35. Our mission is to defend the legacy of America's founding, the virtue of America's heroes, and the nobility of the American character. We must clear away the twisted web of lies in our schools and classrooms and teach our children the magnificent truth about our country. And listen, that includes slavery, and we all learned about it in school. And no one, pun not intended, whitewashes it, ever. We watched Roots in 1976. I was actually in sixth grade, the year of the 200-year anniversary of our country. We get it. And there's also the Civil War. Why was it fought? There's also the Civil Rights. Why do we need it? The Civil Rights in the 1960s. You lived it. So we have that. That's part of our past. But now we're supposed to apologize for it. That's what the president's digging into. What do you think? I think that there's a real movement to try to rewrite history. We have to acknowledge the sins of the past. Just as Germany came to grips with the Holocaust, we've got to come to grips with slavery, and we've taken meaningful action in that regard. But critical race theory seeks to, to really rewrite history in a way that is so slanted, it is so obviously uh, intended to make the majority community feel badly about the minority community and to, and to suggest that they are uh, structurally disadvantaged in a way that it's everybody's responsibility to undo the historical wrongs. That is un-American in the sense we want to be compassionate. 
I believe that, as I said before, civil rights is a job with a future, with good benefits, with the opportunity that you're going to be better off as you and I are than our parents were. Uh, You're going to fight to make sure that anybody can live in any neighborhood they can afford to live in, uh, that uh, uh, that we understand the special challenges of of people of color. But, you know, like the whole 1619 project, that was conjured up. In the New York Times newsroom, they cooked it up, and then they, they are now trying to make that the history of the world. 1619, uh, you know, the in, United in States fact, based on Nicole Hannah-Jones. And, 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 and listen, it, listen to it, her. It is so false. Listen it to this. So I want you to hear her yesterday describe the okay, violence sure. in our cities and see, see how that fits into our history. Cut 40. Violence is when an agent of the state kneels on a man's neck until all of the life is leached out of his body. Destroying property which can be replaced is not violence. And to put those things, uh, to use the exact same language to describe those two things, I think really um, it's, not, it's not moral. I, where the hell does that come from? <laughs> that that, that you know, destroying property is, is not violence. I mean, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. What about the owners of those stores that are still boarded up downtown Cleveland? Don't they have the right? Don't they have the constitutional right to 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 secure life, to make a living doing an honest business, and they work at it? Don't they have the constitutional right to keep what they have accumulated, to keep what they have uh, uh, saved? I mean, I think that everyone has a constitutional right uh, equally to be protected by the police and by society uh, and to have uh, the the right to be all they're capable of becoming. But this socialist baloney, this is – uh, you know, it, it is a, it's a dystopian uh, universe that is accepted. Uh, they want to flip the world on its on its head. You know, nobody has a monopoly on suffering anyway. Uh, where, where are the Latinos? Are seventeen percent of the population of this country? African Americans are thirteen percent. Where is all the Latino suffering? All of those farm workers, all the people that work in those poultry processing plants, the meat packing plants, all those people who are uh, cutting your lawn every day, and the babysitters and the dishwashers and the others uh, Latinos and those menial jobs. What about their lives? What about brown lives? Uh, you know, it, it's so frustrating to me, Brian. I know uh, to see uh, uh, to see how the selective memory and uh, how they've jammed in uh, their uh, uh, their leverage and in, uh, in institutions of higher education. They, there is, I think, critical race theory is is propaganda. Uh, it's trying to, you know, it's a, uh, you know, they're trying to mind control uh, youngsters and make them feel bad. I'll never forget that image when the riots after George Floyd began of a white teenager who kneels before a black teenager begging forgiveness for historical oh. wrongs. I mean, give me, give me a break. I mean, where, what, what is that? Where, where, what, what reality is that gotcha. appropriate? Raldo, yeah, I just think it's offensive. I, I hear you. Uh, have a great weekend. Raldo Rivera, too, thanks Brian. so much. Back in a moment. It's Brian Kilmeade. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Eric, listen on WDBO in Orlando. Eric, real quick, what's on your mind? 
Hey, Brian, I am listening on DBO. You do have an FM signal here. It's 93.5. It just doesn't come in in Jacksonville. They have Mark K on OKV. But you are on an FM here. Okay, um, what's on your mind? I'm calling because uh, you were ju- what you were just talking about. Um, everybody's better than me. It's virtue signaling. They're not really changing anything. They're just showing the world that they're more virtuous than I am. Like uh, like Bernie Sanders, if he really was a socialist, he'd give everybody $10 until he was left with $10. But George Orwell in Animal Farm proves all, all, you know, all pigs are created equal, but some pigs are more equal than others. Your thoughts on all this? I, I'm totally against it. I want to just turn this whole thing around and talk about the virtues of capitalism, the, the glory in trying and not always winning, but competing. we got to get back to that. And it's not only sports, it's in business. If you don't win here, you'll win the next place and the next opportunity. That's what it's about. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. Information you want, truth you demand. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. After decades of division and conflict, we mark the dawn of a new Middle East. These agreements prove that the nations of the region are breaking free from the failed approaches of the past. Today's signing sets history on a new course, and there will be other countries very, very soon that will follow these great leaders. That is uh, the President of the United States, very happy earlier this week. And I'm just going to lower the volume here. Not really sure why I'm getting that echo. Um, so there was a president earlier this week, and he had the United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, and of course Israel there to talk about their recognizing each other's right to exist, as well as exchanging ambassadors and soon to be technology. So uh, joining us now is Admiral James Javidis, the 16th Supreme Allied Commander at NATO, uh, currently a member of the Carlisle Group and author of several bestsellers, including Sailing True North. Uh, Admiral, welcome back. Always good to hear your voice, Brian. Admiral, first off, your reaction to the peace agreements. Hey, this is good news. No other way to cut it. And the question is, Will, in fact, other nations come along quickly? The president said they would. I'm certainly hoping so. To put it in perspective, uh, these two countries that have signed on with Israel are not huge. Uh, UAE, the United Arab Emirates, and about 9 million, so population a little bit bigger than Israel. Uh, The other one, Bahrain, is tiny, 1 million, maybe 1.5 million. But it's an important place, Brian, because it's the headquarters for the U.S. Navy's Fifth Fleet, which operates there in the Arabian Gulf. So these two have signed on. The question is, really, when will Saudi Arabia sign on? Because they're really the de facto leader in the Sunni Arab world. I think before we get to the kingdom of Saudi Arabia, you're going to see potentially Morocco, which is in North Africa, potentially Sudan, which, of course, is in Africa, but are both Sunni Arab countries. So Bottom line, uh, good first step. Let's hope uh, other Arab nations wake up and smell the coffee and join this alignment against Iran, which is what this is all about. It is. And the fact is, I think the administration's last marginalizing Israel to a degree, going in on Iran, ignoring Saudi Arabia, laid the groundwork for this, wouldn't you think? 
I think that Israel, I know, if you look at polling data, Israel is uh, very happy with the Trump administration, and I can see why. Uh, moved the capital from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, uh, have put much more pressure on Iran uh, in working on the peaceful side of this or trying to build a coalition against Iran. So very logical that the Israelis would gravitate more toward a Trump administration. I'll close on this by saying uh, currently Israel has some, shall we say, political difficulties in the governing coalition between uh, current Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and the co-Prime Minister, former general and head of the Israeli Defense Forces, Benny Gantz. I know General Gantz extremely well. I think he's a very, very capable leader. Um, there's real tension between him and President Netanyahu. The challenge for Israel is domestic at the moment, not so much in the international scene. It's just amazing, too. You have the United Kingdom, Israel, and the U.S. struggling with the coronavirus response. Nobody says they're not modern governments. No one says they're not, you know, I guess, uh, free countries to make their own decisions. Uh, then no one says they're not patriotic countries, but there's a second lockdown now in Israel about to take place, and the U.K. has had their coronavirus cases go up 167 percent. Yeah, and, you know, frankly, there is no mystery here. I mean, this is uh, science and medicine, and the United States uh, did not address this quickly enough. We didn't shut down uh, the country soon enough, and then— uh, over Memorial Day weekend, we effectively reopened the country. And so we, we never even got through the first wave. We're still in the first wave. Here's the good news, Brian. It appears that it's starting to decline a bit. Uh, what we now have to worry about is will there be a bounce coming out of Labor Day and the opening of schools? Bottom line on all this, the United States is just not well positioned to deal with a pandemic of this magnitude because we don't, frankly, have a strong central government in the areas of health and human services. These things are uh, obviously run in the different uh, states. So you see uh, where you are right this minute, New York has done a pretty good job uh, crushing this thing. Uh, other states, my own state, Florida, not so much. And so what we need but, but, is a But I'll tell you, Admiral, uh, your response. numbers are so much lower at its worst than New York was. And New York's numbers are still the highest in the country because we were slow to react, because they told everyone to keep going out. And as Steve Gottlieb said over the weekend, and we're not virologists, and I get it, but over the weekend, the mistake we made was shutting down the whole country instead of only the problematic areas. And Steve Gottlieb is somebody that everyone seems to uh, really appreciate outside the government who is very well respected. I think he's on ABC, excuse me, CBS, uh, former head of the uh, uh, CDC. So we're still debating on how to handle this. But I want to bring you back to the Middle East for a second. It wasn't too long ago, 2016, when former Secretary of State John Kerry said this. There will be no separate peace between Israel and the Arab world. I want to make that very clear to all of you. There will be no advance and separate peace with the Arab world without the Palestinian process and Palestinian peace. Everybody needs to understand that. That is a hard reality. Thanks for the reality check. But in reality, he was 100 percent wrong. In reality, the events have moved on since uh, Secretary Kerry 
delivered that line. And today, uh, for better or for worse, for the Palestinian people, I would say they, the Palestinians, need to recognize uh, the Arab world has moved on. They do not put Palestine at the center of the equation anymore. They put Iran as a threat at the center. That's what's changed. And therefore, uh, the Palestinians are going to have to, in this case, wake up and smell the tea and realize that they are going to have to accommodate themselves uh, to working more closely with Israel to try and resolve the differences they face. Here is, uh, I don't want to get you into politics, but I do want your opinion on what politicians will do if they become president. So the vice president was asked at a CNN town hall last night about Russia. Cut 11. Do you believe Russia is an enemy? I believe Russia is, a, is an opponent. I really do. And uh, look, Putin's overwhelming objective is to break up NATO, to fundamentally alter the circumstance in Europe so he doesn't have to face an entire NATO contingent. So any one country he is stronger than. And he's, look, look what's happening now. Look what's happening in Belarus. Look what's happening in his response. Look what's happening, though, in countries like Romania. Look what's happening in terms of the authoritarian nature of some of the regimes changing. So what's your reaction to, do you look at Russia as an enemy? I think they are an enemy. And um, I, whether you call it an opponent or an enemy, um, we have massive disagreements with Russia about their interference in our elections in 2016, in 2018, and their desire and their activity to interfere in the 2020 election. We disagree with their support for a war criminal in Syria, Assad. We disagree violently with their invasion of Crimean annexation of the uh, Crimean Peninsula in Ukraine. So I would say that we are not quite in a full-blown 1970s-style Cold War with the Russian Federation, but we're pretty close. And militarily, I think NATO would look at them as an opponent, as an enemy. You can split hairs about the terminology. But uh, are they someone against whom we exercise military deterrence and we are concerned? And do we have military war plans dealing with Russia? Yes. Joe Biden on China. Cut 10. Do you view China as an opponent? Because the, the president says you've been too cozy with China, too, too accepting of them in the international community. I, I, I'm not the guy. Look, China, we now have a larger trade deficit with China than we've ever had with China. And in our administration, when the World Trade Organization he keeps going on about, just ruled that his, his trade policy violate the World Trade Organization. We sued. We went to the World Trade Organization 16 times. Do you view China 16, as an opponent? I view China as a competitor, a serious competitor. So I think he's, he's a little behind the eight ball there. And, man, I wish he'd finish a thought once in a while. But what is your thought when the possible leader of America looks at China as an opponent? Is that a problem? Um, uh, no, as a competitor. A, a right. problem. It, yeah, it, uh, it's a reality that China is an opponent. It's also a reality that we compete with China. So we compete with them on trade. We compete with them on uh, tariffs. We compete with them in trying to gain influence in uh, parts of the developing world. That's competition. They are an opponent of ours in the cyber world, where we're already engaged in a kind of shadow conflict, where their uh, theft of intellectual property theft really damages our national security. As is the case with Russia, I would say that we are not yet in a Cold War with China, but as Henry Kissinger has said, we're in the foothills of one.
I hear you. I want you to go to something else. And this is General McMaster. I guess he's going to be featured Sunday on 60 Minutes. Uh, he was former National Security Advisor, has a lot of experience uh, actually fighting wars, and he's got a, a great sense of history in terms of past wars that have fought. Uh, here he is on the president's decision to have peace talks with the Taliban. Cut 45. I think what he did with this new policy is, he, in effect, is partnering with the Taliban against, in many ways, the Afghan government. And so I, I think that it's, it's an unwise policy. And, and I think what we require in Afghanistan is a sustained commitment to help the Afghan government and help the Afghan security forces continue to bear the brunt of this fight. I, I also agree with him, not that it matters that much to him, but I agree. I'm very worried about what we're doing there. Are you? I am. And I, H.R. Uh, McMaster was on my team in Afghanistan. He was one of the one-star generals. In fact, we assigned him to work on corruption issues. He knows the Afghanistan government very, very well. He is very smart, and his analysis here is correct. We, However, we should have a dialogue. We should negotiate with the Taliban, but we have to force the Taliban, and we have, to negotiate with the Afghan government. The key disagreement I have with the Trump administration here is this kind of unilateral withdrawal of the remaining troops. Very small numbers, as you know, Brian, uh, under 10,000 troops there, but we just said we're going to cut half of them. I think that's a mistake. We ought to keep our troops there during the negotiation, keep the pressure on. I think that's what General McMaster was conveying. Admiral, thanks so much. Always great to talk to you. Thanks, Brian. We'll talk again. Admiral, uh, uh, to find out what the Admiral thinks about things as they break, AdmiralStab.com. When we come back, uh, the founder and CEO of LifeVac, he's saving so many lives. We wanted to share his story once again, Arthur Lee. You're with Brian Kilmeade. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. From his mouth to, to your, your ears, ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everybody. It's my privilege to bring in Arthur Lee. He's like all of us. We have ideas, and you wonder, can you execute on those ideas? He did. One day, uh, I'll let him tell the story. He wanted to affect people's lives and save them. He came up with an idea that's genius. It's simple, and it's, uh, it looks simple, but it's not simple, and it simply saves lives. It's called LifeVac. And Arthur Lee, one day, you went into your garage and just figured out one way to make sure someone doesn't choke to death, especially a child. What did you come up with? Well, Brian, you know, the, I heard of a child the same age as Jackie that choked to death, and I said, and the Heimlich didn't work. And I said, how's that? How can we have a society nowadays, technology, we can't save it? So I started experimenting, and I just re-engineered a small plunger. So you push it, and pull it. Instead of pushing it in, it sucks it out. And it's super simple, super easy to use, and we've saved 77 lives now. It's amazing. In four years, you have in 500 schools, 38 states, 150,000 American households. And you would tell me about this. You say, hey, I was, you know, you show me articles. This little kid was from Ireland. This is uh, from the West Coast. And this two issues. So these are the numbers we have. Eight, you have since you came aboard, eight new saves, six adults, uh, 
Uh, you have uh, effect. You've saved lives in the U.K., Spain, and the U.S. This is all in those six. Two children, 13 months and 13 months old. The others two, and 27 children total for a total of 76 lives. What does that feel yeah. like for you? Well, look, look at this. First, let me let me start by saying that my beautiful, smart, and full of life two-year-old daughter will would not be with me today without Lifeback. That's the kind of message I get. That child was choking to death. The mother had bought life back two years ago. Uh, she did back blows. She did the Heimlich. She said, oh, my God, I have it under my sink. One pull, the candy came out. And I, I don't want to cry, but you, can you imagine, Brian, like the woman, the child in your arms? That child's here, and they don't have that pain that we know of sudden death, of loss. So the gratitude is not only we saved that child, we saved those parents, the grandparents. So when I get a message like that, I, I, it's all this pain of nine years of killing myself to succeed, they all go away. Yeah, and then you have a situation, too, in a country where if you have an idea, there's a way to formulate that idea. If you can pull it off, then you got to manufacture it. Then you got to get the word out. I mean, that's an American success story, Arthur. It only happens here. Well, the battle, too, is naturally, being me, I had to come up with a medical product, even though it's just a simple class one, you know, suction device. So I had to get eight medical journals. I had to get studies. I had to register and, and comply with FDA regulations. I didn't pick an easy thing to do, but I think you said it, you know, easy things. That's not what's important. What's important is that I had to do it because I couldn't be the only one to save my daughter. And, you know, how could I live with myself? So. Now we've saving 27 kids, Brian. Yeah. And the other thing is, I look at it almost like a fire extinguisher. No one thinks they're going to have a fire yeah. in their kitchen. But as long as that there's, there's flammable things, as long as you have an oven, there's a chance of it happening. That's why back then they used to build the ovens, uh, at the kitchens away from the house. They couldn't control it. So they got fire extinguishers. You never think, and most people listening right now, you're not going to burn down your kitchen. Hopefully. It never happened to you. But you never think your kid's going to choke. But as long as there's things on the ground and kids are crawling on the ground, there's a chance of that happening. And why would you not take a chance and get this? And people think they can pound the chest on a kid and they're just going to pop it out. It doesn't work like that. Well, more people thought, more people choked to death than died of fires. And more children choked to death. And then it's a fourth leading cause of accidental death. It's more than fires or drowning. It happens quite a bit. The problem is the misconception is twofold. The Heimlich, I'll just do the Heimlich. Well, people don't know it doesn't always work. And the second thing is you got a couple minutes. You know, your house on fire, run out, grab your loved ones and leave. This is You can't run from this, and there's nothing you can do to sustain life. You can't do CPR because you've got no oxygen. So it's, it's do or die. Yeah, and I read and on your site, too, people call 911, but you can't wait for 911. Sadly, you could have the best, uh, you could be right next to the fire department. In that time, it's not going to make it. That's why I just thought I'd love to have you, I wanted to have you back on, you know, because number one, people are hearing it on the show. Number two is, since you came on, I'm not saying it's because of our show, you keep writing me, Brian, we got another one, we got another, we got another. So there's eight more since you came aboard. So congratulations, Arthur, you're really making a difference. It's called Life Back. Yeah, you're 100% right, Brian. The message you're getting out there is going to save a child and people. So I'm eternally grateful. You're a good man, my friend. All right, go get him, Arthur. Arthur, by the way, a heck of a soccer player, too, uh, and fearless. Brian, kill me, chill.
From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox & Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show coming to you from New York, but heard around the country, heard around the world. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Dan Juergen's going to be with us at the bottom of the hour. Vice Chairman of IHS, founder of IHS Cambridge Energy Research. I want to get to the bottom of where we're heading. Not only the debate and everyone talking about fracking and oil and gas and us being uh, overtaking Saudi Arabia as an energy source and superpower, but I also want to talk about where we're going, especially because if uh, Vice President... Biden ends up winning. Uh, we're going in a whole new direction, from New Green Deal to Biden's Green Deal, which looks amazingly the same. Shannon Bremen, a matter of moments, and we're also talking about what's happening in New York, which has now uh, surpassed its murder rate and gang violence rate of all of last year. It's still September. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Antifa is a real thing. We do have quite a number of properly predicated domestic terrorism investigations into violent anarchist extremists, any number of whom self-identify with the Antifa movement. Wow. Uh, Law and order suddenly catching up Democrats by catching their attention. That whole defund the police thing seemed like such a genius idea. Well, it turns out when you defund the police, crime rages. And get this, Jerry Nadler, Antifa, a real thing. That according to the FBI. Number two. 22 cases is all they had from the bars, restaurants, in the contact tracing. So it's pretty clear it was minuscule. And they knew this. And then on the 14th of July, the Tennessean, the local paper, quotes the uh, the uh, mayor as saying record number of clusters at bars and restaurants. So they clearly knew better. Unbelievable. You lie, businesses and more die. The Nashville mayor hid record low COVID-19 numbers to keep bars and restaurants closed. The outrage is everywhere. It makes me wonder how many more Democratic mayors are suppressing good news to keep good people and businesses down and Joe Biden's fortunes up. This story is a second wave seems to be slamming two of our allies, UK and Israel. Number one. How will you get the proper messaging out to all Americans to keep them informed? Do you think it's still possible to reach across the aisle? Why did you throw vulnerable people like me under the bus? How do you stop police killing blacks at three times the rate of killing whites? Uh Tale of two town halls. The president sat down with George Stephanopoulos on Tuesday and got hostile questions. Joe Biden joined Anderson Cooper on Thursday, and the questions were so friendly, even his supporters called them soft. What was said and where the candidates are today? I'll give it away. They're both in Minnesota, and they both believe they can win that state. And according to the polls, Joe Biden's up in Minnesota. We'll have to see what happens uh, when they do, in fact, sit down. But I was pretty amazed when you see the town hall and you watch the level of questions. They were respectful, the type of respect presidents usually get. Shannon, I watched your show last night. You also pointed out the contrast between the style and tenor of the questions, right? Yeah, I mean, I think anybody who watched the two would feel like they were very different products. Now, to be fair, one of them was done by one network, one was done by another. And maybe, you know, there was a plan for the format to be different, more conversational with the uh, former vice president. 
Uh, I don't know. I mean, it, it, we were told that the um, questioners in the ABC town hall with President Trump were undecided, and some of them did not seem undecided to me. So I don't know. I mean, it was just a really tougher um, bunch. But I would also say with the CNN event last night with Vice President Biden, um, that it wasn't just the questioners who mostly seemed to be very excited to see him and very friendly. But no matter what he said, there wasn't a ton of of pushback or follow-up from Anderson Cooper. And, um, you know, he may say, like, listen, this wasn't – I wasn't a moderator. This is a town hall event. But – um, yeah, the tenor of the two was very different. Yeah, but it's also important to point out that Washington Post called out Biden after saying that Trump was responsible for every COVID death. I mean, my goodness, listen to this. You'd have to, Shannon, it's not a matter of styles or format, push back on something like this, cut eight. If the president had done his job, had done his job from the beginning, all the people would still be alive. All the people, I'm not making this up, just look at the data. Yes, you are making it up. There is no data to support this. According to the mm-hmm. Washington Post, even if the president had moved rapidly in January to deal with the coronavirus and has been able to persuade the Chinese leadership to be more forthcoming about the situation, when the Washington Post has to fact check you reluctantly, that's an issue. Yeah, because they don't uh, tend to do that. I mean, they check, fact check the president all the time, and that's one of the explanations I saw this morning from somebody saying – you know, the president tells yes. so many untruths, and of course he's going to be checked differently in an event with George Stephanopoulos or someone else because they've got to stop him from all his lies. But there were a number of things that I heard just being objective last night by Joe Biden that were not accurate, and they probably should have been called out at the time. Here is what the uh, Jeff Greenfield said. In the first moments, the contrast between what Trump was asked and what Biden has been asked was striking. Biden's doing well, but this is not exactly getting him ready to face tough questions from Chris Wallace or Jake Tapper. Uh, he writes for Politico. So it's just worth noting, you know, it, if you give the other team a 4 nothing lead, it's easier to explain why they win. Well, and like you said, I mean, this this question about whether him taking questions like this is going to even prepare him for a debate. First of all, part of that will depend on the moderator. Luckily, our Chris Wallace is the first one up, and we believe that he is fair and is going to be tough on both sides. Um, but I don't know if uh, the former vice president is getting mostly friendly softball questions, whether that's going to prepare him to go head to head and toe to toe with um, President Trump, who is going to pull zero punches. I mean, you know, that's the way it's going to go. But with people already voting, um, it's kind of weird to see, you know, this timeline with the debates and how much they're going to matter if people have already in some places consented their ballots. I'm, I don't want to go exact. I don't want to know exactly where you live, but could you tell me what state you're in? I am in the great Commonwealth of Virginia. Can you eat indoors? In limited ways, yes, you can. Uh, I think the parties are limited to sticks in our area, so you couldn't go in more than that, and then the tables do have to be spaced out. I think it's somewhere around 50% capacity, but the times we have gone out, we're trying to eat outside just to avoid some of the drama, and it's been very pleasant. (laughs) So it's not going to be pleasant in December. Uh, Gyms, can you go to the gym? Can you go to the gym, Shannon? Oh, oh, yeah, uh, you can. And you have to, you know, things have to be spaced out. We have to wipe yeah. down each piece of equipment we touch, our free weights and all the materials in between, the mats and all that kind of stuff, which I'm more than happy to do. You wear a mask coming in. You get your temperature taken. Once you actually go into the workout area, you can remove your mask if you are exerting yourself in a cardio fashion. Um, and then you got to put it back on when you leave the workout area. 
So, so, so far, so good. I mean, I, I always ask our people at the gym, do they have any cases yet? And so far, they say no. I ask all the time how restaurants are doing, and I'm just, every time you just see mm-hmm. the pain on their face because on a good day, they're working 60 hours a week trying to make ends meet. You have the people who are part-time bartenders, full-time managers, the cooks that make a living on this. You try to retain people, keep them going. Some of them have other jobs. And then when they're told just to shut it down. But then you go, well, what choice do they have? We're trying to find out about this virus. Well, now in New York, it's under 1%, and it should be open. They're going to open up 25% in two weeks. These guys are just dying. 160,000 eateries just passing, just handing in the keys. Now in Nashville... I cannot believe what's going on here. Uh, emails reveal that they knew they only had 22 cases tied to bars and restaurants. They sold a totally different story, shut down Broadway and the surrounding areas, shut down tourism and the surrounding areas, destroyed these businesses which can't pay their rent. And it turns out a totally false story. Emails emerged from Fox 11 that shows that they agreed in a dialogue between Leslie Walker, the health inspector, quote, this isn't going to be publicly released, right? Just information for the mayor's office, right? Turns out most of those cases, Shannon, were from construction sites and nursing homes. They lied. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and the thing is, you have these local um, reporters, and, and one in particular there at the Fox affiliate who pushed for this information and got these uh, emails um, he says, too, that he went back to them and said, hey, we want to corroborate this stuff. We want to know if it's true and get your explanation for this. He said that they kind of blew him off and told him to use a Freedom of Information Act request, which you and I both know if you do this and anybody who's tried it before, it takes a lot of time. Um, this thing could be pretty far in the rear review mirror by the time you figure that out. Um, so he says that even after they ran with the story, the mayor's office or the health department, one of the entities involved, came to him and said, like, you should have asked us again. And he said, this isn't like high school where you ask a girl on a date and she says no and you just keep asking. Like, we asked you for the information. You said no. Go get it through a FOIA request. And so we went ahead with what we had to do. Now, the mayor's office says we've always been transparent. These emails were taken out of context. We did eventually release this information. But it does show a very stark difference in what was coming out of what they could tell was coming out of bars and restaurants versus, as you said, these construction sites and nursing homes. Um, so to if I'm somebody who was running a bar or restaurant that was completely shut down or severely limited in the ability to run my business, I would honestly think about some kind of lawsuit involving national government. I mean, at least it's it's worth pursuing um, to make sure that as you move forward, you're getting the right information. Um, I, I got to imagine business owners there are just livid. Party over people. I mean, do you know these business owners? They think it's all Luke Bryan and John Rich and Kid Rock. No, there's people behind them who aren't high profile. A lot of them paycheck to paycheck trying to balance their books to see if they can get paid that week. I know way too many people in the restaurant business. And I'm just wondering, Shannon, and I think people listening right now are also wondering how many other Democratic mayors are suppressing or slowing down the opening up of their cities to keep the numbers down. And I can't help but this just fuels my suspicion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and listen, I I don't want to think that. I don't want to think that it would be about party because – In a place like Nashville, like you said, there's so much entertainment. They get a ton of tourism. Um, These restaurants, and um, we had Congressman Mark Green on last night, who's a doctor and a congressman from Tennessee who's pushing and fighting this mayor to find out exactly what happened. 
And he, as he said, it's, it's everyone. It's the Uber driver who takes you home or the Lyft driver. It's um, the local musician who, you know, pulls up and plays for tips. It's, I mean, it's everybody is impacted. The restaurant business is deep and wide. Um, and, you know, I hear from people all the time who say they just couldn't make it. You know, it's heartbreaking to see people post photos on Instagram and Twitter of a sign in the door of their favorite business saying, um, because of COVID, we're not going to make it. We've loved serving you, but we're, we're gone. So then that's empty real estate. That's, you know, mortgages and leases aren't yeah. getting paid. I mean, there's a ripple effect to everything. I mean, we've been able to go back to um, one of our favorite spots around here where we sit outside and we love that. Like you said, it's going to be different once wintertime hits. Um, but the young man that has um, been a server there for years that we love and become friends with, um, he's working at Costco and working there because every time there's a new regulation and the, and the restaurants scale back, he loses his job again. So, I mean, these are real people in real lives, and we have to think about the impact of, yes, protecting the most vulnerable and being exceptionally responsible with the science as we know it, um, but also being honest about what we know so that real people connected to these paychecks um, don't lose everything. Yeah, I want you to hear from Mark Green. Cut 23. Well, the impact of the decision is huge. Small businesses are, are struggling. You've got thousands of uh, you know people out of work. You can also look at the recovery in Tennessee. And if you look at specifically Nashville, low-income jobs have not returned appreciably in Nashville like they have throughout the rest of the state. So I just, I'm just outraged by this, and I just don't believe this is just Nashville. I mean, this has got to be other cities. Well, I'm in New York. I'm astounded every day. This mayor is not on the phone to CEO saying, bring your people back. Uh, it's it's stunning what's going on. And I've never I've never thought we do it. We'd see it in this country. Um, and I we already yeah, been well, educated. We know how to do it. We can come back. And if there's a surge, we can handle it. Yeah, and I think that there's more and more in information available every day to people, and they have to make good decisions and, you know, have doctors that you trust and people that you can talk to who can talk to you in an apolitical way about the data, um, because it's just a shame that this is happening in an election year, which makes me fear that so much of it is politicized. Um, and you have to think about people holistically and about um, what it does to them to not be able to see other people, to get um, regular physical checkups, to see a therapist, to go to church. I mean, we have to think about more than just um, fear mm -hmm. and uh, being able to use data to work through that and to make good decisions that are uh, holistic. He is, she is uh, Shannon Bream. She'll be on tonight at 11 o'clock. Uh, Finding the Bright Side in the Ember book. Shannon, thanks so much. See you soon. All right. Dan Jurgen's coming up at the bottom of the hour. But good news for you is you're next. one 408 7669 From New York to St. Louis, we want to hear from you. Expanding your knowledge base, it's Brian Kilmeade. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. We support peaceful demonstrations. We participate in them. They are part of the essence of our democracy. That does not include looting, starting fires, or rioting. Those are, they should be prosecuted. That is lawlessness. Really? Why now? Her explanation a month ago was when asked about the taking down of statues, one of which her father, when he was mayor in Baltimore, put up, help put up. She said, people do things. 
Now she changed. What are the polls telling her? Adam's on WABC in Queens, New York. Hey, Adam. Hey, Brian. Good morning. And I uh, just want to say that the mayor of Cleveland, Fred Jackson, I believe his name is, so he uh, was quoted in Cleveland.com for uh, saying that, DFA, quote, if they're not funded, do they actually exist regarding the police? And then it continued, right, that is a completely unrealistic approach to things, particularly in urban centers where we still have to deal with urban crime, close quote. So the mayor of Cleveland is on board with funding the police to then change how they police. Why does de Blasio take away a billion dollars from the cops, disband the anti-crime unit, and create lawlessness in the city? How is business going to come back when they're not safe? It's insane. This guy's got to go. But listen, Adam, do not give the governor a pass. Do not give the governor a pass. He says it's crime-ridden, it's dispirited, and dirty. It's your state. He's letting de Blasio take the blame. The governor needs to take the blame, too. You're dead on. And not only that, this inept governor killed thousands of New Yorkers in nursing homes. He has to be held accountable. I hope the Justice Department holds his feet to the fire. This man killed New Yorkers of all race, color, and creed, and he is responsible. He is the worst governor perhaps in our history with blood on his hands. They need to get him out as well. Well— I'm, I'm not for blaming him for the deaths. I'm going to. I wish he'd own up to the policy and not parry it over. I don't believe the president of the United States is responsible for the death of 191,000 Americans. In retrospect, could he have acted quicker? Yeah, we all could have. But I'm not going to say he killed him. I'm not going to say the governor killed him. But I wish he would own up to saying the policy ended up costing seniors lives. I'll take that. Judy, listen, I have FM News Talk 97.1 in St. Louis. Judy. Hello, Brian. Thank you. What's on your mind, Judy? Well, I've noticed that there's a lot of attention to the fact that the Biden campaign seems to be receiving a lot of contributions. Yep. And I personally feel like a lot of Trump supporters believe that Trump is definitely going to win the election. So there's really no need to put a lot of funding into his campaign coffers. Yeah, that's a big mistake. He's got to get ads working. He's got 50 states. He's got about 12 states he's got to dominate. He needs his uh, face in Georgia. He needs his face in Arizona. He needs it in Michigan. He needs it in Wisconsin. He needs it in Ohio. He certainly needs it in Florida and North Carolina and New Hampshire. He's got a shot at all those states. Every little bit matters. Bloomberg's $100 million is not good news, but the president's got to find a way to go into his pockets and do it. You don't want to leave anything in the tank. Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. With the abundance of natural gas in Northeast Pennsylvania, do you support the continuation of fracking? Safely and with proper guidelines, of course, and growing the industry to aid additional jobs to our region. Yes, I do. I do. In addition to that, we can provide for right now, as you know, there are thousands of uncapped wells because a lot of companies gone out of business, whether they're gas or oil facilities. We can put to work right away. Uh, (laughs) 
So can't wait to get rid of the fossil fuels. I mean, we'll, we won't get rid of them. Uh, Dan Jurgen's with us now, vice chairman of IHS and founder of IHS Cambridge Energy Research Associates. And he's got a brand new book. It's uh, The New Map, Energy, Climate, and the Clash of Nations. Dan, welcome. Thank you. Glad to be on with you. Hey, Dan, what happens to fossil fuels if Joe Biden becomes president? I can't get a hold. He keeps changing his mind. Yeah, well, you you had that clip from Pennsylvania where I think he recognizes that there's something like over 12 million jobs before COVID in the oil and gas industry. And it's a great source not only of jobs, but of, of manufacturing, of investment. And it's really good for U.S. foreign policy. So I don't think he's you know going to get rid of it. I mean, obviously, there'll be a lot of pressure on him to do that. But I think is that uh, quote and indicated that, you know, he has the practical reality. This is a source of strength for the United States. Uh, it's been all of a sudden. How did this happen? How did, how do we become uh, uh, an energy behemoth? It is really, it's kind of the genius of America that you have this entrepreneurial culture where people go against what's in the textbooks, what, what the uh, received wisdom is, and they develop this thing called hydraulic fracturing and horizontal drilling, but everybody calls it fracking. And they said it wouldn't work, and it worked, and it worked much more rapidly than anybody thought. We went from importing 60% of our oil to a situation now where the United States is the world's largest oil producer and the world's largest producer of natural gas. And that's done a lot to bring down energy costs for consumers. What would new, the, uh, I want you to hear, though, before we move on, what Joe Biden said earlier last year, summer, cut 16. We are going to get rid of fossil fuels. These guys are okay. They, they want to do the same thing I want to do. They want to phase out fossil fuels, and we're going to phase out fossil fuels. So the, for what about those millions of jobs? Is that the responsible well, thing if, to do? No, I think that this is I think this industry is going to continue for a long time. And I think that, you know, this shift in his position kind of reflects reality. I, I mean, he does have this two trillion dollar climate uh, plan, which is meant to shift the economy over time. But oil and gas is going to be very important for a long time. and It's going to be important to our economy. There are 280 million cars in this country, uh, Brian, and they run on gasoline. They're not going to you know, run on wind. I know. I, I just don't think that these people that talk in theory are having getting a lot of momentum. It concerns me. The New Green Deal had a lot of adults like Ed Markey backing up the 28-year-old New Yorker with no energy background, unlike you. It's impractical, but it doesn't mean it's not a, it's not a movement in our country. Is there a way to, to responsibly move forward with energy? Well— well, I think so. I mean, you're quite right. There are going to be bills and people are going to go on and the rhetoric. And I kind of scratch my head and say, what are you talking about? If you ban fracking, all we do is import a lot more oil into this country. And, you know, it would be good news for oil exporting countries and bad news for, for our own economy. So, you know, what I've tried to do in the new map is kind of create a framework so people can kind of be realistic and look at the whole picture and get beyond just a kind of uh, bumper sticker slogans. So we, we watch as Oregon, California, and Washington State have a series of fires that they can't control. They say it's the worst ever. Uh, and they say, well, that's climate change. What does David Jurgen say? Dan well, Jurgen say. Uh- 
did that. Well, I'm you know not an expert on forestry, but I did hear uh, Governor Brown when he stepped down after forest fires when he was coming. He said we we have to manage our forests differently, and you know it's a incredible tragedy what's happened in you know human life, human losses, uh, and you know the loss you know actually all the carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. But you know I I crave somebody to kind of address this question of the management of the forest and how you do it so we don't have these kind of conflagrations in the future. Yeah, it will be interesting. So you talk about the wars between nations uh, if the, for energy. China, the U.S., and Russia, and we saw Saudi Arabia and Russia clash, and the U.S. come in and broker some type of agreement. Where are we heading here? Well, I think that really points, you know, as you said last spring, when it looked like, you know, as with, with this sort of what I call the economic dark age, the shutdown of the economy, the collapse in the oil industry, the U.S. actually stepped forward and brokered the deal that uh, that kind of stabilized the market. And uh, I think that showed the new reality. People used to say it's OPEC versus non-OPEC. Now, really, world oil is dominated by the big three. That's the United States, Russia, and Saudi Arabia, and how they interact. China's in the picture because it's the largest importer of oil by far in the United States. And interestingly, even with all the problems in the U.S.-China relationship right now, China is one of the major importers of oil and gas from the United States. But Venezuela has come to its knees. It used to be, I think we used to import more oil from Venezuela than almost anywhere else. And yes. all of a sudden they've just fallen off the map because of their socialist tendencies and the takeover of government from private industry, including our businesses were down there. What has Venezuela's loss on the world stage done? Well, it would have made a huge difference. I mean, we actually have a ban now on importing oil from uh, Venezuela because of sanctions. It would have made a huge difference. Now it's sort of, you know, Venezuela is a minor factor. North Dakota produces a lot more oil than Venezuela. And as you say, Brian, what's happened there is tragic, is you have a socialist kleptocracy, you know, running the country. And uh, they're, what they've done to the country, they've ruined a country that actually has the world's largest uh, oil reserves uh, by their policies. It, it was supposed to be socialism for the 21st century. It turned out to be the disaster for the 21st century and tragic for the people. Five million refugees have fled that country. Russia has this pipeline. They got natural gas. They have oil. They want to give it to Europe. And Mr. Uh, it's just beyond comprehension that Germany agreed to let the hub go through their country. We are pushing back on that. We're saying you want us to guard against you, but yet you'll you'll put your whole energy future in Russian hands. Tell me about this pipeline. Have we well, have we had success pushing back on it? Well, we certainly have put sanctions on it, and you know it was eleven billion dollar project that was three weeks away from being completed, or four weeks, and it's now in a state of suspended animation. You know, but the reality is that Nord Stream, uh, it's the Nord Stream yeah, pipeline. It's called Nord Stream Two. Yeah, for listeners, it runs from Russia under the Baltic Sea to uh, to Germany. The, but you know, the the thing is that if the gas doesn't come through that pipeline, it's going to come through other pipelines because Russia is a major supplier. The big difference is U.S. LNG and LNG from other countries liquefied natural gas because it means that the Europeans have choices that you know, they yes. can buy Russian gas or they can buy our gas. And they didn't used to have those choices. So that, I, you know, so it seems to me that you have to keep that in mind and talk about Nord Stream 2. But it's obviously become a very contentious uh, uh, issue, not only, you know, vis-a-vis -vis Russia, but also vis-a-vis -vis Germany. But 
we should be their customer. We Is there a way to transport natural gas uh, uh, cost-effectively to Europe? Absolutely. This is a part of what the shale revolution has done. You know, I said the U.S. is one of the big three in terms of oil production. We're going to be one of the big three in terms of what's called liquefied natural gas, which is the way you ship natural gas by ship over oceans. And uh, what, you know, we're going to be there, gutter, the small country of gutter and Australia are the other big suppliers. So this is another way that the, you know, this is, all this has really been beneficial to our, our trade balance and, and our position in the world and our influence. I mean, we, we now sell energy to India and that has improved greatly the U.S.-India relationship in, in a very, you know, substantial way. So there are a lot of foreign policy benefits that have come from the shale revolution that, uh, that you know, most people don't think about, but you can see it uh, operating around the world. People kind of – other countries really respect and recognize the importance of it, but sometimes in our political debates, people don't – you know, as you were saying in some of the earlier discussion, people just don't see it, and they just, right. they just don't see it. So – Dan Jurgen, our guest, he's got a brand new book out. It's called The New Map, Energy, Climate, and the Class of Nations. So let's go into politics. We've been trying to convince Germany not to do this, and they still are going to do it. Until the poisoning of this, uh, I guess, this this Putin critic. And he gets gets poisoned, and Merkel says, can't believe it, is horrified. And and Russia warns Germany, you better not link Navalny's poisoning— and this pipeline. That's exactly your point. Do you want to be on the hook to Russian, the, the natural gas crack pipe? Do you want to be on the hook to them for your energy while they do these outrageous things where killing their dissidents around the world? And who knows what else they're capable of? Well, I think that, you know, but, that's, but it goes back to, you know, they are going to end up, as I say, if it doesn't come through that pipeline, you know, Russia is just one of the major gas suppliers to Europe. But I think, as you point out, the poisoning of Navalny was so uh, so blatant that it seems to be, you know, having an impact on the politics in Germany itself uh, as a result of this. And, you know, when the Russians do these things, you sort of say, why are they doing this? This is actually, this isn't even in your own interest. Uh, you know, they... they keep doing these things and and you know they they pay a price for it but uh it's like one hand doesn't pay attention to what the other hand is doing it's uh exactly our point and that's where i guess the president's point was you want us to protect you but you have no problem doing business with them that makes you supplicants to russia and it made no sense to him and hopefully we kill the Nord Stream too uh dan so when we look at the paris agreement and bailing out of it you think that was a good move well, I think was it a good move? I think it was. You know, President Trump said he was going to do it. He did it. Um, uh, you know, it. But it kind of. You know, it goes on. I think going back to what you said before, if you know Joe Biden becomes president, that's probably one of the very first things he'll reengage with it. Uh, but you, you know, it, it has very ambitious goals, and uh, you know, a lot of investor, you know, sort of financial investors are now looking at companies and saying, well, how does this comport with Paris? So uh, you know, Paris is alive and well, even if we're not part of it in that sense. That it's, it continues to be very influential. Uh, Dan, congratulations. It's uh, it's all in your new book, Looking Ahead in the Most uh, Important Thing in National Security, and that's Energy Outside Defense. The new map, Energy, Climate, and the Class of Nations. Thanks, Dan. Thank you very much, Brian. You got Bye-bye. it. one 408 We'll finish up this hour in just a moment. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show.
The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Now, on, on the political scene, uh, one of the Democratic candidates is Senator Joseph Biden. Have you seen the problem he's been having? He went around and made a speech. And apparently, he quoted a, I think it was a British politician, took his speech and kind of paraphrased it as his own. And then the press got on him. And then he was charged also with taking part of Bobby Kennedy's speeches. And Biden says, not to worry. He reassured his staff. He said, we have nothing to fear but fear itself. <laughs> and you know what that was? Joe Biden. So Joe Biden going at it uh, as a senator, that blew up his presidential candidacy. Who would think that in 2020, at the age of 77, he'd be leading the sitting president if you believe these battleground polls? I'm just amazed at all the polls. Trump's not winning in any battleground state. He's even trailing in North Carolina by one. That's not possible. I hate to tell you. Let's find out if there's even more to know. More to know. So some great news. Uh, Joe Buck, the number one voice at Fox for all sports, found out live on the air that he's going into the Broadcasting Hall of Fame, joining his dad with his partner in the booth. It happened last night on Thursday Night Football. Oh well deserved. God, I, I don't even know what to say. It's like, oh. I feel like, what? This is not even work. I, I just cannot. Wow. Yeah, I, I'm stunned. I don't get emotional like I did when Jimmy got announced. Oh. That's, all, that's awesome. Thanks, brother. Well earned. I'm lucky to be able to stand next to a great friend. <laughs> One of my best. Six Super Bowls, almost every World Series. Cardinals play-by-play guy. Took go for, was doing this for, with his dad and his teens. Pretty amazing, right? You realize there's a generation that has grown up that do nothing but his voice on the World Series. Almost like Mel Allen was for the generations before, uh, you know, with our grandparents. Yeah, I, I like the understating. Don't tell me everything I'm seeing. One word. Let it play. He's big into let the crowd tell you what's going let, on. It, you're watching it. Let it breathe. People can see what's going on. Allison, do you appreciate that? Or you just, just you can't appreciate Joe Buck or you can I can. I know some people can't always, but the other thing you're not mentioning, Brian, is that the video tribute was narrated by one of your favorite people ever, Paul Rudd. Is he good? Did you know that? I don't. I, I honestly, I didn't see it. Right. But, um, I'm not a I fan. I really love him so much. Uh, he I know. does. Yeah, he does not like Fox. Okay, me next. The Chiefs fan who attended the game, a game tested positive for COVID-19, and now everyone who sat near them is in quarantine. Uh, we don't know who this person's name is, but the Chiefs did leave limited fans into the stadium. I don't know why. No one should have been sitting next to them. You should have been spread out, right? I mean, that's the way it's supposed to be. They're supposed to have the proper distancing. And also, did you see last night, speaking of fans in Cleveland, they had a small amount of fans there. There was a big fight in the crowd. Uh, with the <laughs> You're Browns. kidding. Yep. Really? Yep. Next. Lori Laughlin's got a pri- is in prison. She's got a prison that offers yoga, Pilates, and music lessons. I don't think she's the worst person in the world. I think she's been through enough. I know she made a huge mistake, but she was doing it when she thought that everybody else was doing it. Uh, she is in the Victorville prison, located about two hours northeast of Los Angeles. Low security camp that houses about 300 female inmates. Do you guys have a problem with that? It also includes the dance mom. Abby Lee Miller? What did Abby Lee Miller do? Bankruptcy fraud? I think something like that. But, I mean, apparently she got the prison that she requested. I agree with you. I mean, do we really need to be spending money on sending her to prison? Like, have her pay a larger fine. We're letting out bank robbers because of COVID-19. We're putting them in jail. Her husband's first choice of prison is the Federal Correctional Institute in Lompoc, which offers parenting classes. Good job. 
Can I do, if I ever get in trouble, can I use the Brian Kilmeade defense? Hey, listen, everybody else was doing it. Oh, listen, I'm not saying that you're <laughs> I know, I know, Pete. I know, I'm I know, just I know. Saying I, that I agree I with you guys. Bad, my I agree goodness. with you guys. I just, I just you know, you and know, by the way, I, I know she took away her scholarship, but it's an ungrateful kid. Uh, she, the kids didn't want to go to college. I get it. Um, I just think I'd, I'm over it. I'm not bitter. I've turned the page. Next. Officer, everybody else is doing 90 miles an hour, sir. Lady Gaga says every American drinks the poison that is white supremacy. How many times have I said that when I walked in the studio, guys? Right, uh, right, Allison? <laughs> Pour me a tall glass of white supremacy. Yes. <laughs> the Rain On Me singer says, quote, I am in the process of learning and unlearning things I've been taught my whole life. Like... When you're born in this country, we all drink the poison that it's white supremacy. Social justice is not just literacy. It's a lifestyle. Thanks. That's another thing that Lady Gaga believes that I don't. I will say I do like her overall. I don't agree with this. Um, I feel like we're going to dive more into this in other shows um, regarding, you know, uh, you know, the 1619 project and whatnot. I will say she was on um, CBS this morning today, and she was talking about how she battled depression through this. And it was actually very... Um, enlightening just or refreshing to hear her being oh. so honest about it. This is I the know, most, I, I, Pete, this is the most I've, we've <laughs> ever discussed Lady Gaga. Promise we'll never do this again. Yeah, but you, you just make sure you don't bring it up at any of the pre-show meetings ever again. Oh, you got it. Like, we have pre-show meetings. Uh, next, Dodgers Mookie Betts made me feel good about this world. He says he calls for justice after the ambush of those L.A. police deputies, sheriff deputies that were shot just for sitting in their car over the weekend. We still have not found the guy. He's an outstanding Dodger, one of the best players in the game, former MVP. Quote, I'm angered and disappointed by the ambush of the two L.A. deputies. Finally, somebody's speaking out. Uh, all lives matter. Blue lives matter. And they've gotten it too bad for too long. Have a great weekend, everyone. Stay within yourself. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Dominich, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Dominich Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.